We're excited for Missions Festival. We're excited that you're here. And so if you'll turn your attention to the stage, a guy is speaking today that my wife thinks is really hot. I don't know how that worked. I don't know how. I didn't, I didn't realize I was speaking today. How's everybody doing? Good? Welcome today to Mount Perry North Canton Campus. My name is Jeremy, and I'm the guy that my wife thinks is really hot. Uh, I think she does. I hope she does. But uh, I'm the campus pastor here for this location of Mount Perry North, and we're so glad that you're here to celebrate with us Missions Festival. Missions Festival is two Sundays for us, and missions is a part of the DNA of our church. We are a church in two locations. We have a campus in Marietta. We have a campus here in Canton. And, uh, and missions is a huge part of the DNA of our church. It's a foundational piece of who we are. And as Pastor Brett talked about in the video, we have 14 missionary and partner families that we um, help provide support to in 13 countries around the world. And, and I'm so thankful to be a part of a church. I was talking to our volunteers this morning. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that has a global view, a global perspective of what God is doing and what the kingdom of God really represents. And so you're here today for week one uh, of a two-week deal that we're going to do just to celebrate that. And our theme for uh, this entire festival is for the sake of his name among the nations. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Have you ever bumped into somebody? Maybe you you knew who they were, but you were sure they didn't know who you were. Um, you didn't think that they knew your name. You didn't think that they really knew anything about you. And then, you know, like just they immediately told you your name or referenced something about you that you had no clue that they knew. Like maybe you were at the company Christmas party and like the CEO or CFO or somebody on the board of directors. They're like four or five rungs above you on the org chart. Like they don't know that you exist. And they walk up to you and they're like, hey, Steve, hey, great work on the, uh, you know, the widget project that you did that last quarter. Like, well done. And then they just keep walking away and you're standing there like, okay, they knew my name was Steve and they knew I worked on the widget project, right? I mean, you're, you're, how did they know that? How did they, how did they even know that that was me and that's what I did and I accomplished that? Like you're, you're kind of amazed that they even knew that. Maybe you went to a high school reunion or, or some other type of reunion and you saw people from your past and, and maybe somebody that you weren't really even friends with. They came up to you and, and they're talking and you're, you know, interacting and trying to impress one another as happens at things like that and, and at places like church. And um, so you're talking and they like they weren't even friends with you. And they just say something like, I don't know, like, you know, to a, to a guy like Jonathan Hightower, um, they would say, you know, hey, do you remember like junior year when you hit that free throw, like as time was expiring, like to send us to overtime? And man, we went into like the state semifinals and, and you're standing there like draw, jaw open and, and you're like, yes, yes, I do remember that. I dream about that every single night. Like, <laughs> right. And you. You didn't even remember that that guy went to the basketball games when you were in high school. Like you didn't, you don't know how he remembers something that you accomplished. Or maybe it's not something that grandiose. Maybe it's just something in your everyday life. Maybe it's your husband or your wife or your friends or a coworker. And they noticed something that you did that you didn't think anybody would notice. You were just kind of doing that and, and they, they saw it. Like, you know, I don't know how it works in your house, but maybe if my wife were to come home and Corey were to come home and, she, and she's like in the house for a few minutes and I'm upstairs. And like, then she walks upstairs and she's like, baby, did you, did you unload the dishwasher and like put all the dishes away where they go and then reload it with the new dirty dish? Like, did you do that? And, and you're sitting there thinking like, I'm, how did you even know? Like, of course I left it open so that you would see that it was empty, but like <laughs> how, nobody else does that. 
Like if, if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound? And if a man changes the dishwasher, does a woman notice? Like that's kind of, right? But like, you're like, how, how did you even know? How did, you, how did you even see what I did, right? But here's what happens. I mean, there, there is an itch in all of humanity that can only be scratched when we are known, when we're accepted, when someone looks at us and affirms something that we are or that we've done or they recognize us in a way that we didn't even know they had the ability to recognize. I'll give you kind of a, a short story, a picture from my life. Um, I was in college and I left college to go and take a youth pastor job prior to graduating from college. And I promised my mom I said, I will finish my college degree. I promise. Like when I get there to Alabama, like I think they have electricity and power and internet and I'll do school there. I got there and they had all those things, but we got pregnant pretty quickly in marriage. And so like, it was like, do I want to finish school or do I want my babies to eat? And so we decided that I was going to put school off for a little while. So I put it off and I put it off and I put it off. And then in 2009, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And I thought, okay, this is, and my, I had promised my mom I was going to finish. So I said to her, I promise you, I'm going to finish school. I'm going to jump back into my education. I'm going to finish. And I did. I jumped right back in. And I, I was taking like 17 hours of online classes and, you know, a, a husband and, and a father. And I was coaching baseball. And it was crazy. But I was committed. I'm going to finish my degree. And I want my mom to watch me walk across that stage while they say my name. And then, like, leading up my last semester of school, I was going to graduate in May. My mom passed away March the 2nd. This coming Saturday will be two years since she passed away. She passed away in March. I graduated in May. I got to speak at her funeral along with my dad and my brother. And we did some things in that service just to honor her life. And one of the things that we did was we established a memorial scholarship fund in her name and her honor for the children of pastors and missionaries. So they could go to college and, and, and provide an education for them and and, and uh, I went to my graduation like two months later. And, and, and after the, the funeral, I, I saw, because I was getting the updates of people that were donating to the scholarship fund and things. And I saw that the president of the university where I had been attending school had made a donation. He and his wife had made a donation to the scholarship fund. Man, it really touched my heart. I was so appreciative of that. And so at the graduation, the ceremony's over, and, and it's completely over. And I'm walking across the soccer field where, uh, where we had had the graduation service. And, and, and as I'm walking this way, the president of the university is walking this way. And here's what I was planning to say, okay? Here's how this was supposed to work. I was going to say to him, you probably don't know me, but I want to say to you, thank you so much for giving money to my mom's scholarship fund that we created after her passing. That was what I was, I mean, I had it planned out in my head. This is what I'm going to say. And here's what I got out. You probably don't know me. And, I, and he cut me off. He said, Jeremy, of course I know who you are. He said, I, I sat in your mom's funeral and I listened to you speak and honor her life. And he, he, he quoted and referenced something very specific that I had said in my comments at my mom's funeral. And then he referenced something that me and my dad and my brother had chosen to do in that service to honor her life. And then he walked away. And I was standing in the middle of a soccer field with a couple thousand people around feeling like he knew who I was. He appreciated something that I had done. Two months before I had said a sentence in a really emotional, grief-filled moment, and he remembered it. 
like there was something in me that just lit up. Not because of who he was, but because someone else other than me remembered something that I felt like was a pretty powerful moment, a pretty powerful experience, expression in my life. And he referenced that. Because at the root of humanity, in all of us, we want to be known. We want to be remembered. We want to, we want to have somebody look at us and say, hey, what you're doing matters. Like, like what's happening with you is, is important. And thanks for your effort. And thanks for this. And it, it's a part of kind of the core part of who we are. And it, again, it kind of speaks to the, the reality of our humanity. As we look at Missions Festival, we're going to come back to that in a minute, but as we look at Missions Festival, this is our theme. For the sake of His name among the nations. It's in Romans chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, flip with me to the book of Romans. In your New Testament, if you go to the New Testament, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 1. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Ecclesia, for those of you that were here last week. Written to a band of believers, a congregation, an assembly of God's people in the city of Rome. Now, Rome was the center of the universe at this point. It was the center of commerce. It was the center of government. It was the center of the arts. It was the center of culture. It was either the place that everything in the world was shaped by, or it was the place that had a hand in shaping everything that was going on in, in really that part of the world at that point in history. And so... Paul understands that there's a band of believers there in Rome, and he has not yet had the opportunity to visit them. Most of the other letters in the New Testament that you're going to read from Paul, his writings, he is writing to a place he's already been to. He's writing to a group of people that he went and established a church there. But this is to a people that he's saying, hey, and he says this after the passage that we're going to read. He says, hey, the Lord willing, the creek don't rise or whatever his term would have been. I'm coming to Rome to see you at some point. So Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is what he says. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and designated son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5, and this is where we're going to kind of center a lot of our attention today. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Verse 6, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That is the longest run-on sentence in the world. Um, but what you have here in verse 5 is the translation that we're reading, which is the Revised Standard Version. It says, verse 5, which starts there at the end of the second line, top, beginning of the third, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, depending on the translation that you're reading, maybe you're reading the NIV or something like that, it may read a little different. I want to show you what the NIV says, and we're going to kind of um, bring those together. This is what the NIV says just in verse five. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So in the earlier translation, what I read, the revised standard version, we see all the nations, right? We saw that all the nations are called to obedience through faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That, that's kind of what that, that version, how those, the phrasing comes together. In the NIV or maybe another translation that you're reading, it says that all the Gentiles would come to faith, through, uh, come to obedience through faith 
for his name's sake. So let's look at this real quick. I want to just kind of define some terms and clear up some things so that we're all on the same page before we move very much forward here. Um, what you have here is that the word nations in the first translation and the word Gentiles in the second translation in the original language is the same word. It's ethnos or ethnos, right? And, and what that means is ethnicity, ethnic group, people group, nation, or sometimes in scripture, that's, re- that's the phrase that's used to refer to unbelievers or those outside of the original covenant with God of his Hebrew, Jewish, chosen Israelite people of the Old Testament. And so what we have here is when you're reading your translation, it may say Gentiles or it may say nations, because what Paul was writing to these Roman people was, hey, listen, there is a mission To go and help bring to faith those who are outside of the faith. And and at this point in history, except for just a couple of dealings with with some of the people, and it's beginning to spread through the Gentiles or the original unbelievers here, um, you had the, the Jewish people, you had them in relationship with God through the covenant. Jesus Christ comes... He brings about a new covenant. It doesn't abolish entirely the Old Testament, but it kind of pulls in the Old Covenant into him. And he says, you don't have to have all of the ritualistic things there, but I am the relationship that you can have. And now there's a new covenant. And that new covenant, thanks to what you read in the middle of the book of Acts, when Peter goes to Cornelius's house, right? He has this vision from God on the top of a roof. And, and, and what he sees is he sees all these things and he says, man, these things are unclean. And God speaks to him and says, how dare you call unclean what I say is clean? The imagery here is, Peter, you think that the gospel, the message of my grace and truth is only for the things that you would designate clean, which are the people that are a part of the old covenant. But I, God, am saying to you, Peter, that the, 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 the covenant, the relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ, is actually for everyone. There is not clean and unclean as you would designate it. How dare you do that? Let me label people and you understand that it's now available to everyone. So Paul is saying to these Romans here, he's saying, again, whatever English translation you have, we talked about this last week, but the Bible was not written in English. So when we're reading this, we're reading the translation of that. So no matter what version you're reading, we understand that Paul is saying to these Romans, listen, here, here's what we're called to do. We, we've been given a calling. We've been given the grace. And we've been given this kind of apostleship, which we're going to look at in a second, to go to the Gentiles or the nations, whatever your version reads, because that's the same thing, to go to the untapped part of the world, the unbelieving part, those who are not yet a part of the covenant, and help them come to obedience through faith. Through Jesus Christ, all the nations of the world, all the ethnic groups, all the ethnicities, all the people, all the unbelievers have access to the gospel. Now, I've I've beat this like a dead horse for months and months and months. This here, this right here, is why Mount Perrin North came to Canton. Right? We've talked about this. We didn't come to Canton so that for those of you who used to attend the Marietta campus, it was closer for you to drive here than it was to Marietta. Right? We didn't come to Canton because you happen to live right here across from Sequoia, and this is closer than the old church you might have gone to. We didn't just come to Canton because of whatever, the stars aligned. We came here because we believe what Paul was saying to the Romans applied to us, and it applies to you. That we have a mission, and we've been called through that mission. We've been given the grace of God and a calling of God, this apostleship, which again, we'll talk about in a second, to go to the ethnicities. And let me tell you what an ethnicity is. It's people in Cherokee County. It's a group of people. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's every way you can split up people. Those people 
need to hear the gospel message of what we just read, that Jesus and his resurrection is the power that they need to be exposed to. That's the mission. And so Paul was exposing them to this idea. And so Paul was reminding them of what it was about. Now let's look at the word apostleship. Apostleship, or the word apostle, is, is the, the idea of being sent out to carry out some type of mission. To being sent out on purpose. There, there's a military context to this, to send out a fleet to accomplish something and, and then them to come back. You had the apostles who, who Christ called and then sent them out. And so whatever your, your view of apostleship is, it really is just this idea that there is a specific reason that this specific group has been called together and then sent out together. And so what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, and you, this is not going to be back up on the screen unless they just want to throw it up there, but it says, through whom we've received grace and the calling to be sent out, right? The grace and the calling to be sent out to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name, among all the nations, among all the Gentiles, among the people in Cherokee County, among the people in Cobb County for our Marietta campus, among the people in Romania who you're going to meet some pastors and an incredible family next week who are called and pastored the New Generation Church there in Romania. All the peoples of Romania, that, that's, that's what Paul's saying. All the people of the Sekarora Valley of South Africa, who you're going to meet some incredible people next week, uh, Milan and Elmarie Mulman, they'll be here. And we help sp- sponsor them and support them and sponsor these families and 12 other people's families around the world to do what this writing is talking about, to go to these ethnicities, to go to these ethnic groups, these groups of people, these unbelievers, and expose them to the power of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about missions, we're talking about this incredible calling to be sent out for a purpose. Now, our theme is for the sake of his name. Everybody say for the sake of his name. Let's say it one more time because a couple of you were reading some stuff in your bulletin and you missed that. For the sake of his name. Say it again. When I read this the first time, I I thought this. Okay, you you don't, you didn't think this. You're way smarter than me. Here's what I thought. I thought for the sake of his name. I kind of thought that would be like you know, going somewhere in someone else's name. Like I were to show up somewhere and be like, hey, um, you know, Jeff Cates sent me to pick up his dry cleaning and so I need to do that, right? I'm going in his name to do something for him. I kind of thought, okay, this makes sense according to the gospels. I would think, okay, I'm going in the name of Jesus. He sent out his disciples. He sent out, the, you know, those that he, that he sent out to do missions. Okay, like I'm going in Jesus's name to do that. And that's a part of it. But it's, it doesn't say in his name among the nations. It says for the sake of his name among the nations. So what does that mean? For the sake, doing something for the sake of someone else is even greater than just doing something in someone else's name. If I were to do something for your sake, I'm doing it for your good. I'm doing it for your betterment. Right At the end of this, like, like if I just do it in Jeff's name, at the end of it, he gets the dry cleaning that's already his clothes. Like, it was already his to begin with. Like, he doesn't get anything new. It's already his, right? But if I go do something for the sake of Jeff, he probably benefits here, and it's something he didn't even know. It's not already his. He's going to gain something. He's going to get something that he didn't have before I did it for his sake, right? For him. I, I did that. And so when he talks about here, uh, you know, that going into to the world and, and, and your apostles to, to, to help them come to obedience through faith for the sake of his name and doing for the sake of his name among the nations. What we're talking about here 
is we're saying that we're doing something for the sake of the name of God. So what does that look like? It means that I am called to do something that is for the good of him. Right? I'm doing something that at the end of this, the result of this is that he gets glory from it. I'm doing something that at the end of this, like the attention doesn't turn to me. The attention turns to him. I'm doing it for his sake. Right. It's more than just doing it on behalf of him. Like I could show up, you know, to Romanian and, and with the Blosias there and, and be a part of their outreach and their evangelistic effort. Or I could go with Ron Brown and some of the team that's planning to go to Uruguay in, in the early part of June. And you can stop by the next te- steps table to get some information there. A little, little blurb. But I could go with them and I could do some ministry and some outreach and I could do it on behalf of Jesus. And I could be like, hey, I'm here on behalf of Jesus. I'm here on behalf of Mount Perrin North Canton campus. They couldn't all come, but I'm here on their behalf. Or I could say, I'm doing this for the sake of Christ. I'm doing this for the glory of God. Do you understand that difference? There really is a, a big difference there. That it's not just doing something in someone's name or even for someone, but doing it for their sake, for their good, for their glory, for the, the worship that would come out of as a response. To that, God had a lot of things that he called for his sake. He called people for his sake. And Jeremiah, we're going to hit these pretty quickly. Jeremiah 13, he's talking here to those old covenant chosen people, the Hebrew Israelite people. And he's talking to them. There's some pretty weird imagery here in Jeremiah 13. But this is what God is talking through the prophet. This is what he says. For as the waist cloth clings to the loins of a man. Hello. Aren't you glad you showed up today? As the waist cloth clings to the loins of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, says the Lord. That they might be, listen to this, they might be for me, for God, a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. If you, if you know the, the history the repetition, the rhythm of God's relationship with his people in the Old Testament. It was like, God, I love you. God, I'm going to do my own thing. God, I come back and I love you, but I'm going to do my own thing for a little while. But God, I really love you. That was kind of their rhythm. And it's easy for us to read that and go, God, they're a bunch of idiots. Except that I do that. And truth be told, probably you do too. Right? God, I love you, except that I'm going to hang on to this part for myself over here. But man, I really love you when it doesn't affect this. And I'm going to kind of hang my own way Monday through Saturday. But Sunday, whoo, great I am. I'm in. I'm in. Right? And what we see through the prophet here is that God says, listen, I'm calling a people for me. I'm calling them a name. That they might be a name. That there might be praise through that people of me. There might be glory of me through that people. But they wouldn't listen. And then in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we we read that the gospel is now awakened to an entirely new group of people. And in Acts chapter 15, we see this really incredible. We We just read about waist cloths around loins. And now we're in a conversation about circumcision. All right. And we're talking Jewish people, Jewish men are talking about how if you're a Gentile, you're an unbeliever, you're not a part of the covenant. You can't be a believer unless you're circumcised. I mean, you got to do what I got to do. Right. I mean, it's only fair here. 
And there's some other things that you're going to need to kind of, you know, you're going to get the checkbox one and you're going to be a part of the group once you kind of buy in at the same level I bought into. And you're going to have to do the grain offering and you've got to show up to the temple and you're going to have to do this and have to do this and have to do this. And this is what the writer of Acts, who, who was Luke, this is what he says. Simeon, who is Simon Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles. This was the passage about Cornelius that we talked about a minute ago. To take out of them a people for his name. To take a people, take an unbelieving, unrepentant people for his glory, for his honor, for the worship of himself. And so you got these old covenant folks and you got these new covenant folks and God has chosen them for his name's sake. Right? He, he, he chose them. The author, Gary Chapman, has, he wrote a book a number of years ago, and there's like 19 million studies on it since, about the five love languages. Our men's fraternity group that meets Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., they, they were studying this this week. There's five love languages, and I'm going to read them because I'll forget something really important, but they're words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch. Five love languages. They're, they're the five ways, really, that you express and receive love. And it's pretty easy to tell what someone's love language is because it's usually the way that they love you. It's usually the way that they express love. When you watch them close enough, you can usually tell how they want to receive love by the way that they give love. So if you've got somebody that, man, they just give gifts and gifts and gifts and give, you introduce them to me, okay, because I want to be their friend. They give gifts and give gifts and give gifts and give. That's probably their love language. You're probably not going to get to the core of their heart by being like, hey, do you want to hang out? No, but if you show up with whatever, some gift of some kind where they're like, oh, my God, you thought of me on your way home from work? Like, oh, my, I feel so loved, Right. You find somebody that just, I mean, they, they just show up at your house to fix your leaky toilet. They just show up and be like, hey, you know, I heard your brakes squeaking when you pulled up in the neighborhood the other day, and I just want to change your brakes. One of two things is happening. Their love language is acts of service, or if you're both single, they're angling for a date, okay? <laughs> this is how this works. Trust me, I changed her brakes before we were dating, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Um, Acts of service. That's their love language, right? And what that means is that, again, I could show up now with, you know, gifts. But that's probably not going to speak the core language of how they receive and express love. If I do something, then that, that would speak their love language. Now, all of us are wired differently and all of us probably have a primary and then maybe even a secondary love language in the way that we give and receive love. But somewhere in that portfolio of your love languages is words of affirmation. It may not be the primary for you. It may not be like right at the top. It may not be second, but let me just tell you for most human beings, words of affirmation is a huge part of the way that we find our identity and purpose and acceptance and, and we're known. And that part of the, you know, I talked about it a little while ago, that part of our nature that just kind of, it's the itch that gets scratched when somebody knows us. And they accept us and they affirm us. And somebody walks up that, that, man, you just, you didn't even know they knew. And they tell you what a good job you did on the project. 
You didn't think anybody knew you had to stay late last Thursday. And they walk up and they say, man, I really appreciate you hanging in here for a couple extra hours last week. It, it, it really allowed us to get done what we needed to get done. Somebody walks up to you and says, we're a better team because of you. Somebody walks up and says, if you weren't a part of this family, I don't know where we would be. Words of affirmation. It, it is, it's a part of the core makeup of human beings. And that in and of itself is not a negative thing. It's not a bad thing. Like that's the way God wired us. And I don't think you should run away from that. Where we get in trouble is where we begin seeking the affirmation above what we're actually doing there. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard to complete the project. Not so the team gets done with the project, but so that someone will praise me in my efforts. That's where it gets tricky. I'm going to unload the dishwasher, not because it helps my wife and helps our home and the rhythm of our home with four kids that are just going in all different directions. I've got a couple extra minutes. I'm going to do that not so that it helps us, but so that at some point before we go to bed tonight, she's going to go, I really appreciate you unloading the dishes. And I only do things to get the affirmation, to get the response, to, to have someone say, you matter. Thank you for what you did. And we, and we just, man, if we, if we start seeking that, I mean, if, it, if it's like a drug for us, if it just raises the level of endorphins in our body, we're like, I got to have it. I got to have affirmation. I got, that's where you see people get into unhealthy relationships. That's where, where you see people make terrible decisions because they reorient their life on seeking this acceptance and this affirmation versus just doing what God called them to do, being who God called them to be. And we spend our life wasting who we are and what we can do with our hands, seeking the approval of someone else rather than doing what God desires for us to do, not for us, but for the sake of his name. That's where, we, that's where we get messed up. We get messed up when the purpose of life is for the sake of our name. When everything that we do or a lot of what we do or the main focus of what we do is how is this going to reflect on me? And how are people going to judge me? And how are people going to look at me? And how can I get them to praise me and worship me and adore me and affirm me? And I mean, how can I get them to just kind of repurpose everything they are towards me? Instead of saying that I am the Lord's servant. That's what Mary said. Mother of Jesus said, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be as you have said. I mean, there, that's a whole other message that we'll probably preach somewhere near Christmas. But if I'm a teenage girl and I'm unmarried, I don't know that I'm as quick to say, yes, Holy Spirit, impregnate me. I'm thinking about the judgment of the, the neighborhood. I'm thinking about people looking at me and rejecting me instead of affirming me and not accepting me, but shunning me. And it may not be to that extreme, but for you and me, we run that same risk. We say, man, I, I, I'm thinking, how does this affect me? How will people accept me? How will they affirm me? Instead of, I will do what I need to do for the sake of his name. I've been given grace. and I've been given a calling. There is a mission in the world that I'm supposed to be a part of, not for me. Not so that people look at me and say, wow, look at you. Look how talented you are. Look how gifted you are. Look what you do for missions. Look on the trips you've been on and the money you've given. And look at how early you show up on Sundays to set up and how late you stay to tear down. Look at how many life groups. You're in 19 life groups. They only have 12 at this church. You're at seven other life groups at other churches. Hallelujah. You're a Christian. Right? No. We have to evaluate ourselves and we say, what can I do for the sake of his 
What is it that God is doing in the world? And how can I reorient my life towards those things? Let me tell you what I'm talking about very quickly from a story in the Old Testament. It's, it's a part of a larger kind of two-book part here, First and Second Samuel, that are some of my favorite readings of all of the Old Testament. And I promise this will be very quick because some of you are looking at your, your, your watch and you're thinking about lunch, okay? So here, here's what we're talking about. First Samuel chapter 14, Saul is the king and he is about to build an altar, which we're going to read. And he's doing that because they've eaten some things they weren't supposed to eat and they've got to make a sacrifice to atone for that. And this is what it says in First Samuel 14. It says, then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. It's a pretty big deal. It's the first time he'd done that now that he's been king for a while and been, you know, a part of God's chosen people raised up to be king. That's a a big deal. It's the first time he's done that. So then a couple verses later, God commands them. I want you to go and destroy the enemies and don't leave anything behind. Destroy everything. But Saul has a better idea. He says, I'm going to leave the best undestroyed and I'm going to take all the plunder from me and the men. And and God, through the prophet Samuel, wants to rebuke Saul. And so Samuel shows up to confront Saul. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 15, one chapter later, just a few verses later in your Bible. 1 Samuel 15, 12, it says, Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. And he's turned and gone on down to Gilgal. If I'm not careful... This is my reality. I go from building altars to God on Sunday to building monuments to myself every other day of the week. I say, I, I want to be affirmed. I want to be known. I want to be accepted. I want people to look at me and think that I'm somebody and I don't purpose my life on him And for his name's sake, I purpose it on me. And I say, what's my mission? Like if I'm drawing up the plans, what am I about? What do I want to do? How can I do something where more people look at me and go, look at you. You're something pretty special. I know you. I affirm you. I accept you. And you know what that turns into? It doesn't turn into the worship and glory of of God, it turns into the worship and the glory and the honor of me. You know, it's Missions Festival. We're talking about missions. And I ran across an incredible quote from an author and who used to be a pastor. His name is John Piper. Pretty long quote. It's going to be up on the screen for you, but this is what it says. It says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad from Psalm 97. 
Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy from Psalm 67. But worship is also the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from their heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exult in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High, from Psalm 104 and from Psalm 9. Missions begins and ends in worship. Missions begins and ends in worship. And I would say it this way, and this is going to be on the screen. God is glorified through my life when my life glorifies God. God is glorified through my life when my life glorifies God. What does your life glorify? What does your life glorify? What does my life glorify? Does my pursuit to be known and affirmed and accepted drive the worship to be about me? Or does my pursuit to be a part of the mission of God and worshiping God with my life drive the glory to Him? Because God is glorified through my life when my life glorifies God. What does your life glorify? What is it that you are about? And when people look at you, and man, I heard this as a kid and as a student in church, and I thought, man, that's such a cliche. And so now I'm going to say it and just keep that cliche going until we all die. Here's what it is. When people look at you, do they see God? people look at you and they see how you spend your time and they see how you spend your money and they see how you treat one another and they see how you treat your family and your friends and they see how you go about your work. I mean, is it so that they will look at you and see you and affirm you and accept you and think, man, you're so talented. You're so good with money. You're so good at this skill. You make that better than anybody that's ever worked for this company. I've never seen someone who treats their family that way. You're so giving and so caring and so compassionate. Or do they look at you and say, man, when I watch how you treat your family, I know that God lives in you. When I watch the way you conduct yourself at work, I can't help but believe that you know that God is glorified through the way that you work. When I see how you give to missions, I understand that you see the kingdom of God is bigger than where you can spend your money on your own. God is glorified through me when my life glorifies God. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. God, there is a temptation in all of us to want to be known and accepted and affirmed. And because of that, we run the risk of thinking that all of our efforts and all of our strategies, all of our time, all of our money should be about becoming more known, becoming more accepted, becoming more affirmed. But God, would you help us today to realize that missions doesn't exist. It exists where worship doesn't. 
And so where where worship of you is not happening, that's where missions is needed. And what my life should be about is the mission of God and bringing about more and more worship for and to you. Because God, you are glorified through me. My life glorifies you. Challenge us, convict us, change us, refine us, cut out parts of us that don't glorify you, don't honor you. In the next few minutes, God, I pray that you would help take us as we offer ourselves to you and illuminate the parts of us that don't glorify you, God. And God, help it to change, help us to change, confront in us what needs to happen. 